Thanks again for coming back. This is Criselda Pacheco, a producer and person of the Living Lilith podcast. I'm very excited today, you guys. I'm with a really good friend of mine, Steve Maeda. He is a men's coach in Austin, Texas, and he's been doing this work with men for a long time. Dude, I'm so excited you're here. We've been friends forever. Forever. There's videos of us of when we were younger. Do you still have those videos? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're on YouTube. Yeah. Are they on YouTube? I want to see them. Yeah. They're not on They're YouTube. On an, no, they are. They're on an old channel and we'll have to link to them. And so people could look at how wise we were 10 or 12 <laughs> years ago. And it actually, it's actually really cool what we're saying. It's just, we're young. And uh, so, so that means we have more energy and more impulsive. Yeah, it's great. I want to tell people how we met. So I'm excited to bring Steve here, everybody, because you know, a lot of you guys might know already, I work a lot with the feminine principle, with the feminine. I come from a feminist background, even though I've evolved from feminism into something different, I think something deeper, um, in my opinion. And so I have watched Steve-O, as I call him forever, like go through these different evolving stages of Steve-O. And it's been, <laughs> a real, it's been a real honor, honestly. There's so many things that I, I can't wait to bring up and talk about here. Um, so yeah, thank you so much, Steve, for, for being here. I'm excited. Like this is gonna be fantastic. I think a lot of people have a lot of questions about what femininity is, what masculinity is, and sort of not just socially, but the spiritual sort of side of these things now, which is something that wow. you and I can talk about today more than we could have in those videos <laughs> back in the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. That we sure. made. Um, so yeah, tell us a little bit about first of all. What brought you to this work, to wanting to work with men? Uh, man, you know, it, people ask me this question. It's so funny because I could talk to you because you you kind of understand this. But literally, before I was a men's coach, I stole stuff for a living and worked as an artist and drove around the country and caused massive havoc. Havoc and was just it was just crazy. Like it was so fucking crazy. And um you know, how does that become a men's coach? And I think about this because I'm like, oh man, if I say this, but it's the truth, it's like the story of my life. And it's, and I think it's so important when it comes down to it is that I, I, I was a drug addict and I didn't care about coaching anybody. I didn't care about being popular. Well, I did care about being popular, but not in this sort of way, you know? Right. And, and um, I want people to like me and I thought, you know, fame or something 
would replace something and, and coaching back, back then wasn't like cool. Like it wasn't like a celebrity thing. This is like in 2006 or so. And so I wanted to play music and be an artist and get recognition for that. And it's so funny because somehow I always like this when I get a client who's like a drug dealer or some sort of like odd illegal job, because that's what mm -hmm. I did, you know, and you always got to be like secretive about it and all this sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I just wanted to live out of a car and play music and destroy stuff and take out my hate for the world on everybody because I blamed them for it. And we can get to that because why I think men and women have so many problems is because there's no answer for identity, self expression, worth in our society. And so we have these problems that go beyond just men and women. But for me, you know, it's, it's very much man. And it's like, no shit. You know, we have all these angry men and then we say you're angry. And I'm not saying like an angry man doesn't have an excuse to take an action as an angry man, mm -hmm. but I can understand why that happens because there's nothing and there, there's nothing in our society and culture, which gives them an answer that's real. And the same goes for women. It's just, I work with men right. and that is sad. You know, it causes a terrorist It causes all these problems. So that's what I was. And then all of a sudden I, I moved to Texas because it would be easier to drink it. Like I thought I would get killed the, the week before I moved to Texas, I went on this like photojournalism thing and I peed in some famous people's <laughs> drinks and, and <laughs> I want to know who they got are, in a but... fight. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's it, anyway. So <clears throat> I, I was just crazy that I'm like, I'm moving to Texas. I thought I'd get killed, but instead of getting killed, I like fit right in, you know, the, one step further would have been Louisiana and then it would have been all over. But, but Texas yeah. was safe enough for me to not completely implode and go crazy. But like, yeah, I moved here and then I, I got somebody pregnant. I didn't know if it was my child or not or whatever. And it was all confusing. And then I was like, well, fuck this. I'm going off the deep end, went off the deep end more. And then a month before my son was born, this is in 2005, I, I tried to get sober. So I've always had a drug and alcohol problem. And, you know, it started when I was 14 and had periods of sobriety or, or clean time or whatever you want to call it uh, back then. But from 20 to 28, I was just getting hammered, man. And it was great and torturous in some ways too, but it was, mm -hmm. it was amazing in some ways, but um, torturous. And so I was like, you know, I'm not going to go to a 12 step program, but I got to get some, like, I might be a dad. This is freaking crazy. And it turns out I was a dad and my first son was born and I was about a month sober and then I, I tried to make it work. I lost all my friends, all my punk rock friends left me probably because I was a terrible person. And, um, but you know, that's kind of what it, what it is. Well, you were like, being punk rock, you know, when, you know, in a way you were being punk rock, but, but they all say I wasn't punk rock enough because I, I kind of wasn't, I would like to say I wasn't is kind of ridiculous, but compared to them, you know, they, mm -hmm. you know, it's such an identity and they were doing it longer than me and all this sort of stuff. But, uh, so then I had no friends and when you have no friends, it gets really lonely then you become a dad and I'm trying not to drink. And the only punk rock people that remained friends with me were my vegan friends. And they were the only people of that group that actually did something with their lives. And I'll like always oh, wow. remember that. I remember I was like, 
I was like, man, I don't know. I don't have any friends. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to try and get into filmmaking again and da da da. And the vegan friends were like, hey, Steve, you know, like it's it's good. You you should not like stay not drinking, like whatever you need to do. And I was like, I was I really am I really that bad? And they were like, no, you, you just don't worry about that. Just just do this. Like if you want a job here, you can. Like it was it was they were but so why, compassionate. So so why but why were you so angry? What were you angry about? Um, I, I don't know. You know when I when I if you were to ask me then. Like, so this is interesting. There's so many different directions. So you'll, you'll have to reel me in. But at the time, I didn't know what it meant to feel good. Like, so I just, and I didn't think I felt bad. But here's what's interesting is when I would have sex, I got this huge relief, like for real from, from whatever it was, 18 to 28 to, and on, mm -hmm. but I didn't understand it. It was as if, like, like God touched me in my chest and I'd be looking at this woman I'm having sex with this is the most beautiful thing. And then, you know, I'm like, I love you. And then, you know, you don't really know what that means and you don't know how to have a relationship. And it was like the most beautiful thing. It, it was, it was not even as if it was God or God within myself or something coming alive in my chest. And I could, I could feel it. And I was like, man, I don't have a problem. And then I was like, oh, whoa. I, I am in pain, you know, what is that? And so you get to this thing where you, you have like a, let's say a divine experience or something like that, or a really powerful experience, a good feeling, a euphoric feeling. And then you go back to reality and you start to see reality is something which might be, you know, considered like a hell or something like that. And so I didn't know why I was angry. I just, at, at that point, I really, really started on the road. So when I was 28, I was like, man, there's a problem. And I didn't go get clean then. I made it about nine months. And then I did some mushrooms, which was great. And then I, I slowly, and I still had no friends. So like nine months of no friends. I try and shoot a documentary. I'm like a new dad. I, I've been not in this happy relationship. I, I, I didn't ever want it. And you're just trying to make it work. I feel like I'm, I'm like, man, I'm this loser. I was this kid from California that had good parents and a family with, you know, all this pressure of whatever. And I was, was a rebel. I was always like the black sheep, but it was like, oh man, I really am. I'm a, I'm a loser. I had some kid in Texas. What a piece of shit. And, um, and then I, I stole this book called the game and the mother oh, you stole of the my book. kids. Oh, I didn't oh know of it. course. I, I never even read it. <laughs> I read part of it, but I can't read. So that's the other thing too. Like I'm massively dyslexic. I've read a lot of books, but it's really hard. And mm -hmm. when you're trying to read information and I, and I do value it, but if you're looking over notes from the underground, that's written by a genius. And when you're reading the game, you don't have the same motivation of taking the care for each word. So I didn't finish the book, but the mother of my oldest kids read it and she was like, you could do this. And she was surely joking and wasn't ready for the horror that she would be about, about to experience of this guy who she was kind of in a relationship with trying to hodgepodge this thing together of just chaos. And then I was like, oh, I can fuck chicks, which again, all the punk rock dudes were like, what a piece of shit. But to me, <laughs> when it comes down to sex and what I learned and where I went with it, because, you know, it's like, it starts out just chaotic. Um, mm -hmm. But 
it is one of the greatest acts of liberation or what does punk rock stand for of doing the right thing of the connection of all people. And when you open up sex and you sit there with it, you know, like I was experiencing and not knowing and feeling it in my chest, but you know, eventually then getting, getting clean and, and, uh, which happened when I was 30. So there's about two years of that. And, and to see how it changed people, this fundamental connection, whether it was sex or teaching sex, teaching the fundamental connection of humanity so that we could be truly honest. And if we can't do that, we cannot be honest. And so just really quick. So I, I have no friends. I read the game. I start looking online. Back then the internet was much different. I bought can you, some can, can you tell products. people about the Can you tell people about yeah. the game? Can you tell them about the game? Because in okay. case your people yeah. don't know what that is. Well, there's so much I actually have to say about it socially at this point. Excuse me, I got a cough. <laughs> but it, it was this book that came out in 2005, written by Neil Strauss, about how he went from being a nerd to being what was called a pickup artist. And so back then, there was not really, there was like a, a term, a pickup artist, like this kind of mythical thing, but he popularized it. And it talked about this guy, Mystery, and it talked about this guy, Eric Von Sydow, who's Hypnotica and still around, and Zan Perion and Ross Jeffries, and all these kind of legendary guys that are still around and how they taught him how he could become a nerd and just like basically a loser by all society's standpoints. But then if he knew these techniques, then things like attraction would not be a choice. It would be something that you would have power over. And so this is like crack for men. You know, you sell sex to men, but not just sex, you sell power. You sell the feeling of fulfillment. And, and we, in our society, we say power is wrong, but we thrive off of power. Like we, like we, we try and take power with getting power and, and we want to take down power by having power over people. And so we go in this sick fucked up cycle, which is not sex. That's not what it is. So I do that and I start teaching. And this is, this is perhaps the most important thing. One, I'm good at it right away. And I didn't realize everybody was lying. So there, there weren't people that were actually good with women. Some were, you know, like mystery and so on, but like Ross Jeffries and whatever, but they, they were, they could do it, but most of these people weren't and they were teaching and I didn't realize that. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to go do this. And you got to realize like nine months before when I was drinking and using drugs and that, like when I was 28, 26, 27, 28, I was like pretty hardcore. And so from whatever it was, 23 to 28, Literally nine months before I started with pickup, I would go up to people and I forget why I didn't like this guy. I think I actually had sex with his girlfriend, which I wasn't like a player then, but it just happened. You're drunk. You do a bunch of drugs. You accidentally have sex with somebody's girlfriend. And I went up to him and I had my dick out and I walked up to him and I just started urinating. And I was like, hey, man, hey, I just want to talk to you. And I started peeing on him. And then when he realized I was peeing on him, I punched him and I got on top of him. And then I like started hitting him and I grabbed his mouth and, you know, whatever. I was like super violent shit. So when pickup, when they were like, go up to that girl and tell her she's hot. I'm like, well, you can't say that because that's wrong. And then they were like, no, 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 you can. And I was like, okay, well, I'll try it. I, it didn't bother me. Like in pickup, they always talk about social freedom, and which eventually anxiety and being kind of a clown makes you not want to do that all the time but i didn't like it was like I, I would go up to people and just do horrible things just not hit on them i would hit them you know so or whatever and i'm not saying that to be tough it was just like let's do whatever crazy shit because my life has no worth 
I think it has some worth. I'm trying to find it. So I'm going to do whatever. And so that, that was like my starting place. So I was real brazen. And then man, I, I loved sex and there's all sorts of trauma of why perhaps I love sex. But the, the thing was, was like, that was a huge motivator. Mm -hmm. And then over time it became something good. Sorry, one last thing. I meant to get to this. You got to shut me up, Chris. I'm, I'm just <laughs> no, I'm going to let you go and finish this point. And then, but this is good stuff. I, I think this is important for people to understand the greater context about how somebody becomes, well, the great, you, you know, the immense coach. The greater context gets bigger, but, but so check this out. So I, I start traveling around and before then I like lived out of a car. I lived in Mexico. I'd done all this stuff just like, like, on, like by myself, you know, or, or with a friend or with a band or something like that and eating beans and stealing and, and dumpster diving and all this sort of stuff and, and causing havoc. And then I went from like, okay, we're going to fly on a plane and go to Vegas and stay in a hotel. And then we're going to fly to Europe. And we're going to stay in a hotel or we're going to fly to wherever. And we're going to do this and we're going to be in clubs. And I'd never been in clubs. I hated clubs. And so <clears throat> it was like, holy shit, this is the craziest thing. And all of a sudden people start asking me to help them. And so literally, literally, I went from being somebody who was a thief and I had this guy from Chicago say, hey, I want to hire you. He was at a Chicago workshop and these were all bankers. This wasn't like, this wasn't like idiot, toxic masculinity people who were hiring mm -hmm. uh, pickup people. Like you got to imagine in the United States in 2005, 2006, 2007, 2008, 2009, there were people that were paying 3000 you know, $2,500 to $4,000 to attend a workshop so that they could learn how to meet women. And all the people that went to that workshop weren't these angry men. They were professional people. They were federal judges. They were, you know, district court attorneys. Oh. There were all sorts of different people that were very, very like doing what society would be saying is good. And they were doing this in, in private. And it wasn't like this angry kid it wasn't like somebody trying to posture with whatever, but they were putting their faith in like a clown or in my case, somebody who was just this social misfit in order to find an answer. And so what we have to see in society is that why was that happening, which perhaps we'll get to in this discussion, but the most important thing happened. So this guy says, Hey, I'll give you $8,000 for four days and we can go to Miami and you can teach me whatever. And I said, okay. And then it turned out to be Arizona. And then I went and then my pickup artists, like mentors who were the main teachers, like I was just starting, mm -hmm. they came with me. So it was actually kind of a cool thing. So we do the whole thing. This guy doesn't need any help with women. This guy's like on, he's like super on. And so the last day he, uh, he, we go up on some roof and back then, you know, we didn't have like cell phones with uh, pictures in it and stuff like that. We had right. like a small camera. We had the, it was it the flip the phones, phone. right? The flip phones. Well, we did have flip phones, which I had. I had the Razor, which was so cool. And then you text on it all. Weird. I love those. Yeah. Just, I had a little pink Samsung. So was, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, yeah, I had a Nokia. I had all the, like, it was crazy. I, I think I still have one of my first phones. And it has all these directors, these theater directors that are, are, are their numbers in it. I wonder if they're still the same 20 years later. But anyway, so so this guy pulls me up on the roof mm -hmm. and he's like, uh, I want to I want to show you these pictures. And he goes through the pictures and he has the the not the phone, but the camera. And he's going through it. And he's like, look at this. This is my ex fiance. And, and I was like, OK, man, 
dude, you come on. We should have talked about this. We should have talked about this at your workshop in Chicago. He's like, no, 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 just shut up. Just keep watching. He's going through it. And he's like, this is sort of this us in Switzerland. And isn't she beautiful? And he's like getting all nostalgic, right? And I'm just like, dude, why am I sitting through this? Uh-huh. You asshole. You like have this problem. Why didn't you got to get over this chick? So he's like, no, 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 no. Just keep watching. He's like, look at, she's so beautiful there. We went to, you know, Yellowstone or something like that. And he's going through it. There's all these pictures, all these pictures. And then he's like, and here we're at the doctor's office. And, um, you know, this was in whatever year. And then here is when she started chemotherapy. And then here's when she lost all her hair. And here's the last picture that I have with her when she was alive. Wow. And I came here to tell you that that I I know I don't need any help with this stuff. And I, I just mm-hmm. didn't know that it was possible to to have a uh, a relationship again. I have all this guilt and you were different. And at the workshop, everybody was just this whatever person. I felt so stupid for trying to get over. I don't know how he said it. I'm making up these words, but, he, but to get over this death and mourn it. And this was years ago. And I just didn't know how to do this. And so I hired these idiots, but you were really cool. And I think you could do something with this. And so, you know, you should think about it and think about it and do good. And, uh, and I'll help you out. And so at that point, I realized there's something important there, right? It, it wouldn't it be great if at that moment I decided, Chris, at that point, I was going to, I was going to, the Archangel Gabriel, you know, or Michael or whoever it is comes down and he, I'm like, I'm going to stand by your side and we're going to, but that didn't happen. I was just like, Hey man, okay. So you're going to hire me again. <laughs> give me, give wow. me more money. That, and by the way, I didn't really get any moving. of that money. That's a really powerful but, story about, about, but, about loneliness so, and, and men. And, and I mean, about a lot of things about loss. I mean, I don't know. It was really powerful. Well, but so in this, what I realized over and over again is men had pain and they had no solution right. for it. And why are you listening? Pick up highly misogynistic, which there's even a value to that. You know, we could talk about that too, but highly misogynistic, but none of these guys in the, in the beginning were actually being misogynistic. Every single one of them had something like, uh, you know, I want to have sex with a girl in the same night. I want to have multiple girlfriends and I want to have sex with two women at once and all this sort of shit. And here's what happened, especially with those guys that were already kind of a part of society they got a couple girlfriends and then they chilled out and that's kind of what happened. And, and it didn't fully solve their problems, but it gave them relief and it gave them kind of like a, a lifting of a veil, you know, of, right. of what maybe the cultural norm of what sex was supposed to be and who so they were supposed to be. was. That's what yeah, happened with you. Right. I mean, that was how ha- I feel like that's what happened with you. The lifting of the veil when it comes to sex, well, that that was the first time like, know, there was a veil lifted, and you felt like alive, and you felt that connection with the divine, and and then when juxtaposed to this mundane, like like lifeless feeling, very just bland metal, like the whole reality is like a welfare office or something. Like you're gonna go there to get, you know, what I'm saying, sitting <laughs> some kind of like state office waiting to to be the next, you know, your number five hundred thirty two in line. <laughs> so it's like compared to that reality that we're living in. This yeah. having sex and that experience of this liberation for a minute, that uh, this just bliss in comparison to mm-hmm. that, it's like it, it keeps you chasing it, that that feeling again, that experience again. <clears throat> well, you got to also understand from like at 22, when I'm feeling a hole in my chest be filled is much different than what it was when I was 30. Mm-hmm. And the difference, and here's one of the differences, and this was really helpful for me. 
like from 28 to, uh, I don't know, 30, I had sex with like 80 or 90 women or something like that. And, um, and because of that, that gave me a huge point of reference that this could be good, but there was bad stuff in it. There were all sorts of dishonesties or pain or whatever, but there was something clearly good, which I couldn't get from having sex, you know, like with a girlfriend every couple months, you know, or like you have a girlfriend, you have sex a bunch, and then you break up. You don't know why you break up. You don't know why you're having these problems. And then you sit there for six months. And you're like, man, I'm so lonely. What do I do? I write a letter. Do I do this? Do I, you know, how do I get this girl? And so it was the excess that allowed me to see now excess isn't necessarily normal, but think about this again. Why did a society create this? And I'm kind of abnormal, but why did it create a whole subculture of men that wanted this? And it's because it, it sex was sex and identity was no longer being fulfilled by our culture. And so for me, at the expense of a lot of damage, you know, I, I don't want to say it was like this, what did you think? And it, it's cool. I just fucked over all these people to get this information. You have to be responsible for everything. But I needed the excess to get a point on a map of where this could possibly be a good thing. Well, do and you also think you got to understand mm -hmm. that that has something to do too with the addictive personality. Oh yeah, totally. Right. Yeah, I'm crazy. It's yeah, all kind of yeah. the same, the same mechanism in the brain, the same, uh, pattern. Yes and no. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, like, so I work with guys in addiction and with women too, quite a bit. And when we compare, so first off addiction is addiction, but you, right. you have to understand gambling addiction is going to take on different unique qualities than doing certain drugs. And then addiction to healing and self-help is going to have different qualities. So people are going to have different entry points of dealing with whatever that addiction is. So yes, addiction is all addiction, but when it's oversimplified, we right. give society like, like it's like uh, you hear like give an addict a hug and then every dickhead watches that speech and they right. go, man, I understand addiction. And you don't, you don't. Right. And it's a lot more, it's a lot hugs, more nuanced, you know? like anything else. Everything's on a spectrum. Everything is relative and everything's nuanced. So it's, it's different. I love what you said about you. You were doing the extreme because I mean, you have to do things like that, right? If you're collecting information, you were out there like a social scientist in a way, right? And you're collecting information to see how much is too much and where is the sweet spot. Yeah. Inside of all that? Yeah. Maybe. But let, let's just put things in perspective. So with my job now, I take it really seriously. And I, if somebody has a problem, I don't believe in giving them an answer or a solution if I can't carry them through it. So it's a little bit different of a coaching. Like I put out videos of information, but if you come to my, my groups and work with me, I, my commitment is to carry you through wherever you need to go. And there's different levels of that. And, and money is involved, but it has more to do with your commitment. And I've sat and especially with addicts, like it's, it's not, it's something where I, I don't think anybody should ever go in thinking they understand it because I understand it to a point and enough, but I have sat there with people while they begged me for their lives mm -hmm. and, and gone on to die. And that was my job to, to help them. And that's a pain that I have to sit through and walk with and, and make sense out of and to carry to other people. And when it comes to things like sex addiction and things like people trying to sort through, like, like the guy who came to me, I didn't 
necessarily know how to help him. And I talked to him still, well, I haven't talked to him in a couple of years, but you know, over the past 17, 18 years, I've spent a lot of time talking to him and he's ended up in a good place, but I wasn't the person who took him there uh, with mm -hmm. my clients now, oftentimes, and I don't have to be the person I always say to get help from outside and whatever, but I'm often the person to take somebody through a, a really, really tough and intense experience right? and, and all the way through. Yeah. And so, you're kind of so, like a doula in that way where you're like, uh, you're, you're the one taking them through their abyss, right? You're like hanging out with them while they're in their abyss, sort of checking <coughs> things out. It's a very primordial and very intimate and powerful trust that they have to give to you. Well, if a doula helped you raise the child, then yes. Um, well, the death doula too, there's a death a doula, a death doula oh, is somebody yeah, yeah. who helps people die and help them cross over. So in some ways you're helping them cross over the abyss, their own personal inner hell, right? You're spending time with them while they're like walking around in there, checking things out. I yeah. mean, you have to go through it. You can't bypass it. You have to experience all the things oh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what you do. Yeah. 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 Right. So that's, that's where I'm different, but yeah, where I started out was crazy. It was. And yeah. Well, well, I it, met it you during be... that time. I met you. Doing yeah, 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 yeah. And it could be totally immature and, and, and whatever you want to call it. But yeah. I don't see a lot of people like me and the people I do see like me may have started out in a different place, but mm -hmm. they're, uh, they're overlooked and that's sad. And everybody right. looks to the, the right. Rock star I, I, I want to ask you about that. First of all, um, can you, t so what were you doing at first? And well, actually, before we go there, I want to ask you this question. When you talk about identity and men and the identity and so on, what kind of identity crisis are men experiencing? When I say men in particular, I'm talking about American men, right? Because that's where we are. That's our experience here in the West. What kind of identity crisis is going on with the American male as a collective? I understand that not, it's not a monolith, but what are the patterns that, that you've discovered? Well, so first, if you have pain, it's your responsible to your responsibility to to work with it. That's your life's work. And and you can see that in some spiritual way. And you could also see it in just like you were born into this world. You were born into this world and you're born into a world where you may not be seen and yada yada yada. But but the real thing is is we don't have any outlets. So mm -hmm. as men, Let's go back to this phenomenon where Neil Strauss writes a book. In the 90s, in, in the late 80s, there was a men's movement, and it was huge. And we had, we had men talk about things, and it was good. It was PC, and the books like Iron John came out and so on, and right. then King Warrior, Magician Lover. And these are all like great books, but, but they didn't work for men. They didn't work. And there was part where it, I don't want to say that these guys like Michael Mead and so on were missing the mark because they weren't, they were like totally spot on, but they didn't realize the pain that was out there. And when you start to think about this, like when you get into incest in the late eighties and nineties, I have people that I work with that were told that that's, that that's just in their head, that that didn't happen. Hmm. I, I have a ton of guys that I worked with that were in either Vietnam or in the first Gulf War that were told that perhaps what would be considered now PTSD was just considered depression. Mm. So there were all these misdiagnoses, misdiagnoses, there were all these different problems where men didn't have an outlet. 
And you always hear this stupid shit when you go to these men's conventions. Well, you used to hear this in 2005. You'd be like, who did we have to look up to? Jerry Seinfeld or Ray Romano? And, that, and there was no initiation and there needed to be a rite of passage, which you still hear that same thing, right? And these things are important. But you will also hear like, you know, in, in more modern culture, uh, you know, 15 years later, you'll hear, well, our role models weren't there and we don't have like the badasses that we had in the 80s and no Stallone and you know, we need, you know, we need a, a 007 to break through walls and all this sort of stuff and yada, yada, yada. And this will this will somehow help us in our society and culture. When in reality, my theory was always much deeper and from day one of pickup. So, hmm. man, I'm, I'm really jumping all over. But at the age of 20 something, I read the book Ishmael. It changed a lot of my perspective on things. And I went on to interview the author and befriend him and all this sort of stuff. This was before pickup ever started. And it kind of formulated my brain. And so when I started going to pick up seminars, they would talk about the selfish gene and all this stuff. And I was like, man, that's not, I don't think what Richard Dawkins was saying. And these were things that I had read because Daniel Quinn, who wrote Ishmael was, he, he was mainly influenced by, by Richard Dawkins and not saying that these people I think are the creme de la creme, but, but I studied their stuff like devoutly is, is a justification to go rob and steal and live outside of society. And so when you think about this, like in Ishmael, the, the general idea, there, there's a lot to it, but it's that the way our culture lives is not how we evolved. And so it doesn't fulfill certain things. And so we're lonely in many ways. And we, and the more populated we get in a, in a population, de uh, certain densities, we start having consistent problems with different names on them. So it could be communism, it could be capitalism, which are obviously two very different things. But these are social problems trying to they're, they're social attempts, their attempts, at a social answer. And people are trying to make sense out of meaning and identity goes away. And so we have that massively in our culture. If we jump to, to now, we have that. And so why was it that men bought into clowns and, and a huge, this wasn't a small thing. This is a huge thing. This is the top of the top. This wasn't every up-to-do man, but a, a man who was doing well in society by all of society's definitions. He should be happy. He has money. He was married. Maybe he wasn't married. Maybe he's able to be a good father. He's able to invest. He's able to have power. He's able to have all these things. And yet something is unfulfilled. And when you starve something, it seeks answers that are ridiculous. So it seeks like a highly misogynistic answer. And those guys just didn't have it in them to do it. And the teachers really weren't doing that. Now, since then, years and years later, there are teachers who did that. And then there's, there's more people who are really angry. But so check this out. Men have pain, they have real pain, and you cannot deny that. And it's different. And it's not to be compared with women or whatever. Women have pain too, and women have horrific pain. And, I, and, I, and I've seen it, and I wonder why feminism doesn't help it, even though they're so critical about it. Right, right. But like women have horrific pain, and it's the worst. And, and, I, and I hate it, man. I've, since then, fast forward, you know, instead of a guy on a rooftop or an addict begging me for his life and can't stop using... Like I've had women beg me to help feed their families and they'll say, I'll have sex with you and whatever. Hmm. And, and just like, I, I need a change. I need to change, please. And, and I'm just looking at this situation and, I, and I'm, it, it's the most painful, sad thing. And when you get into reproductive rights and all this sort of stuff, like it is so fucked up the the pain that you see the individual of somebody telling you that. But that being said, I don't want to, you know, I'm, I'm just saying that, that I understand it. 
Right. And, and I don't think women who are critical about men understand that enough. 